you shouldn't forget because, once again, look at the pictures we drew. Just hearing voices. I could see those people. Mm -hmm. That's it. And you could hear the, the people in the background investigating the scene of the crime. It was, you know, things were done so well. And the unobtrusive sound effects. And the fact that people did take time to listen to one another when they were speaking That's to right. one another. It's very unlike a lot of acting today, where, particularly visually, Absolutely. There's, a, there's a feeling that people really don't listen. They just say words. And here in radio, you have to listen, you have to respond, and you have to think. You know, you hear all those sighs, and you hear all that heavy breathing, and it's the way people talk. It's the way we speak to one another in everyday life. And consequently, when you did that in radio, people listening would believe. Mm -hmm. Overlapping. the whole Everything. Thing. Yeah. yeah. If it was yeah. necessary, sure to overlap. Do you, do you have to be, a, do you think, a better actor or actress to do radio? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Really? I because think everything so. was voice? Well, a lot of film actors couldn't do radio, so that indicates to you right then. I mean, they literally were not able to transpose the word into any sense. It wasn't so much that they couldn't read, because that was a problem with some people who cannot... I don't mean that they didn't know how to read. They knew how I to read, meant, but... I meant that reading words off of a piece of paper become traumatic for some people, mm -hmm. so that they lose the trend of what they're trying to do or trying to say. Whereas those of us who were fortunate enough to work in the business regularly had a certain facility. We had a facility to read the words off the piece of paper, make sense out of them, as Shirley just said, mm -hmm. and also to make them mean what the character meant so that we were able to become performers in the body of the script and in the body of the character we were playing. How else could many of us have done multiple we characters? We couldn't. You know, we, I mean, the face and the body didn't go with the voice and the character oh, that we surely. were playing. We were not... There were no boundaries to radio acting. If you had the voice and if you had... I think the talent, let's be, oh, yes. let's be uh, yeah. honest. Well, but uh, the facility to read was part of the talent. People see us everywhere. They think you really care. But myself I can't deceive. I know it's only Sunday, November 23, 1958, was a sunny, cold day in New York. Conway Twitty had the nation's top song with its only make-believe. The inside cover of the New York Daily News spoke of President Eisenhower's slashes to the 1960 government budget. Meanwhile, Texan Democrat Rep. George H. Mahan demanded the military budget remain robust. West Berlin Mayor Willie Brandt called for Allied powers to stop Russia's campaigns aimed at destroying democracy in Western Europe. And a mechanic strike grounded all but four of TWA's more than 200 planes. My hopes and my come true. If you'd have turned on your radio to WCBS in New York that Sunday, you'd have heard news reports at the tops of most hours. Concerts, talks, and other music programs filled the dial between 11.30 and 5 p.m. At 5.05, yours truly Johnny Dollar signed on starring Bob Bailey. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar, my name is Parley Barron. I'm calling from Hollywood. Hollywood? 
Uh, what insurance company, Mr. Barron? None. You handle all investigations for Eastern Liability and Trust. Yeah, I guess I do. Well, I am sure that they'll be calling you in shortly. What about, sir? A little matter of embezzlement. Oh? Nearly $10,000 that's been stolen from the Berkeley Furniture Manufacturing Company there in Hartford. You're connected with Berkeley Furniture? No, no, actually I am not. Then what's your connection with this embezzlement? I suggest you check with Berkeley and, of course, the insurance company. Of course. When you have learned the facts from them, I am sure you will find it of the utmost importance to contact me. You sent in Hollywood. Yes. Goodbye, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, but where in Hollywood? Hello? Hello? Oh, he's a lot of help. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, Act One of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Eastern Liability and Trust Company Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Hollywood mystery matter. Expense account item one ten cents for a phone call to Hal Spidel, who's my regular contact at Eastern Liability and Trust. Well, hi, Johnny. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Hal. Listen, have you received a report of loss from the Berkeley Furniture Manufacturing Company? Well, they're a client of ours, but no. What makes you ask a thing like that? A phone call I just got. They called you direct? Well, somebody did. A man by the name of Polly... Wait a Bar- second. Yes, Miss Turner. Who? Hold everything, Johnny. I'm holding. Hey, what did you say? When? We'll find out how much. Johnny. Yeah? You've got an assignment, boy, and it's Berkeley Furniture Manufacturing Company. Embezzlement? Yes. 10,000? how you found out about it. Listen, they just found out about it themselves, so get on over there and see what goes, will you? Hal, will do. Bailey had been playing the lead since the fall of 1955. He'd hold on to it until November 1960, when the program shifted production from Hollywood to New York. For more info, tune into Breaking Walls, episode 102. After Dollar, Suspense signed on at 5.30 with a play called A Statement of Fact. Directed by William N. Robeson, it guest-starred Kathy Lewis as an international beauty accused of murdering her husband. As further proof of Hollywood Radio's tight-knit community, it also featured John Daner. George Walsh announced, well, I was the last voice on the format of suspense, known to my daughters in those days who were pretty small as Spooky Daddy. Spooky, Spooky Daddy. <laughs> did, you, did you ever use the voice, like, for disciplinary purposes? Never worked. Never worked, Never worked huh? Yep. They, knew. they laughed at you, didn't yeah. they, George? <laughs> Are today's announcers, do you think, George, is as good as they were back in the golden days of radio? Well, I don't think they were announcers in the same sense as they were in those days. I think today they're all doing commercials. There's hardly any such thing as a format announcer anymore. Hardly any such thing as a staff announcer anymore. That's right. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson.
The most lurid of crimes is the crime of passion. No mere bank robbery or stock swindle can compete for newspaper space with a nice, juicy love nest murder. Our story concerns itself with a murder which criminologists would classify as a crime of passion. But we feel that it is just the opposite, a crime of no passion, a negative murder committed because passion had fled and love was dead, a homicide without hope. Listen, listen then as Miss Kathy Lewis stars in A Statement of Fact, which begins in just a minute. And now, A Statement of Fact. Starring Kathy Lewis, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I'm sorry, no comment. Let me through, please. Will you let me through? Sorry, I have nothing to say at this time. Oh, hi, Chris. You didn't waste any time. You can't afford to. How'd the press get in on this? The sheriff called him after I told him you were on your way down. Publicity hound, huh? Well, every little bit helps in an election year. Yeah, where's the prisoner? In there with him. Where's she been hiding these last three days? I don't know. She isn't talking, at least to me. She'll talk to me. Uh, just a minute. The sheriff left orders that he's not to be disturbed. What's your name? Deputy P.G. Thaler. Mr. Thaler, I want you to go and stand by that door over there. Huh? No one, absolutely no one, is to come through that door until I say so. I take my orders from Sheriff Morrow. Oh, you do? Thaler, I want... Hey, I thought I told you I didn't want anyone around here. Morning, Sheriff. Who are you? Dale Christian, Deputy District Attorney. Oh. We can handle this situation all right, Mr. Christian. Is Mrs. Dudley in there? Yes. She's guarded. No need to go. Get in there, John. Don't take your eyes off her. Right, Chris. Now, look here. Now, you look here, Sheriff. You're going to do as I say. Just a minute there, Bradford. He has no right to go into my office. He has every right to go in there, and I'll show you why. Yeah. See this? It's a warrant issued yesterday afternoon for the arrest of Ellen Randall Dudley. When you see that seal and that signature, your authority has automatically superseded. No one comes in here and tells me how to run my job. I'm telling you. You're trying to get your name and picture in every newspaper in the country at the expense of this case. I'll have no more of it. This is no pressman's holiday. If you have any brains at all, you'll take Mr. Thaler here and go outside and get rid of those reporters as fast as you can. I'll take action against you for this, Mr. Christian. You just do that, Sheriff, and see where it'll get you. After suspense went off the air, Have Gun Will Travel debuted over CBS with Strange Vendetta. The show aired on Sundays at 6 p.m. in New York and at 7 p.m. in Los Angeles. This episode was broadcast just one week after the end of Frontier Gentlemen. Sit down, gentlemen, and sit still. I've come to order a coffin for the first one of you who makes a move. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel, headquarters of the man called Paladin. Good evening, Mr. Paladin. Good evening. Oh, here are the paper, Mr. Paladin. Oh, thanks, hey boy. Uh, excuse, please. Must go a lady look for me. Lady? What lady? Mm-hmm. Well, I should say it is a lady. Oh, very 
very sorry. Could not catch tickets to opera. All sold out. Oh, I had so hoped to sit in that performance. And you still can. Huh? I couldn't help overhearing your difficulty. I have an opera box if you would care to be my guest. Oh, thank you. But we could not presume on your courtesy. Uh, we? Uh, my husband and I, Senor... Paladin. Oh. Now, of course, the invitation extends to him also. We have been looking for you, my dear. Oh, Miguel. Uh, Senor Paladin, this is my husband, Senor Rojas. Senor. Senor. And Dr. Mayhew. Great pleasure, Mr. Paladin. Dr. Mayhew. Senor Paladin has kindly offered us his box at the opera tonight. There were no more tickets. Very kind. Uh, Dr. Mayhew is, of course, included in my invitation. That's very gracious of you, Mr. Paladin. The invitation is accepted? We accept, on the condition that you join us and be our guest for dinner, Mr. Paladin. Is that not correct, my dear? Quite correct, Mr. Paladin. Until this evening, then, buenos dias. Mr. Paladin? Oh, oh, oh husband no like you. <laughs> I'm afraid you're right. But then, why should he? No one could be more at home with history than Edward R. Murrow. For more than 20 years now, he's focused his attention on world affairs, broadened his viewpoint with travel, and sharpened his perspective by meeting and getting to know many of the leading statesmen of our time. Five evenings a week on CBS Radio, Edward R. Murrow shares his experience with you. For a clear, concise report on today's important developments, join us on most of these same stations when it's time for Edward R. Murrow with the news. A fuller understanding of current events is waiting for you, too, on every lively edition of our World News Roundup. Seven mornings a week on CBS Radio, the World News Roundup takes you to the scene of the news for eyewitness reports by CBS News correspondents. Hear what's happening direct from where it's happening. Get the feeling of the news along with the facts as our World News Roundup comes your way at breakfast time tomorrow. Doctor, Doctor Mayhew, it's time to wake up. The performance is over. Oh, oh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Paladin. Opera is not one of my special likes. Uh, uh, which one was this? The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. Oh, oh yes, of course. <laughs> well, at any rate, Don Miguel's wife seems to have enjoyed it. Miss Dona Maria is a remarkable woman, Doctor. Meant to savor and enjoy beautiful things. And I might comment for your particular benefit, Mr. Paladin, that Don Miguel is a remarkable man. Wait a minute. Huh? Oh, oh, what is it? Someone behind the curtain. Behind the... What? Don Miguel! Look out! Don Miguel! Ah! Miguel! Senor Paladin, help him! My husband has been hurt! Please, Dona Maria, Don Dr. Mayhew will do all he can. Yes. Paladin, he needs treatment at once. We'll have to get him out of here. Yes, any news? No, not yet. We are still waiting. I spoke to the police. There'll be no trouble. It was a clear case of self-defense. The man attacked your husband and was shot down. It was lucky Don Miguel was armed. Yes. Is he always armed? 
I do not know. Did you see the man who attacked your husband? Of course I saw him. Did you know him? No. The man looked very surprised at the way things turned oh, out. Oh, I thought Dr. Mayhew hurry. Doña Maria, has Don Miguel ever been attacked like this before? No. Yes, 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 he has. Oh, there is no need to lie about it. It's an insane blood feud that has cost many lives already. This was bound to happen. They failed tonight. They will not fail another time. Blood feud? Perhaps I can help? This is not a tragic opera, senor. In this case, death is very... Re Doctor, how is he? He's resting quietly. You may go to him now, Doña Maria. Uh, Doña Maria. Yes. Give him my card. This is not time for form. Have gun. Will travel. Give it to him. Please. See, I will. Well, uh, the wound itself isn't too serious, but I don't like the looks of it. Why, Doctor? What's the problem? There was poison on the knife blade. Nothing familiar. A plant substance of some sort. Well, the question is, will Don Miguel live? Yes. For perhaps a week. When Have Gun Will Travel signed off, Gunsmoke signed on with the correspondent. George Walsh in a completely different voice, also announced the show. Gunsmoke was the final CBS dramatic offering of the evening. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of Gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. saying goodbye to my informant, the stage driver. The information wasn't worth it. Here, here's your hat. Uh, thank you. You just get off the stage? Yeah, I came all the way from St. Louis. I must say, St. Louis is looking better to me all the time. My name's Norton, uh, Reed Norton. My name is Adams, Dr. Adams. 
Anybody forcing you to come here, Norton? I'm a correspondent. I'm uh, after a story on the stage holdup that happened near here several days ago. Uh, heard about that all the way to St. Louis, did you? Oh, your Western shooting matches get a lot of publicity. Yeah, well, if you know all about it, why did you have to come to Dodge? Well, I, wa- I want the real story. That's some romanticized account. Yeah, I see. Hey, maybe you can tell me what you know about it, eh? Mr. Norton, since you're so interested in the real thing and all, I suggest you get your story from Marshal Dillon. Huh? Now, he'd be the man with the facts. Oh, and a swagger to go with him, I suppose. Yes, Why don't you find out for yourself? I'll do that, Doc. I'll just do that. Marshal Dillon? Yeah, I'm Marshal Dillon. Come on in. You want to see me? You or somebody who can tell a straight story? No. Well, who are you? Norton. Reed Norton. I'm a correspondent out of St. Louis. I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Norton. Won't you sit down? Oh, thank you. Your uh, paper sent you here? No, it's my own idea. It's about time somebody wrote a story on the frontier the the way it really is and, and not the way it's pictured in exaggerated accounts as in Harper's Weekly. Ah. And uh, you figure that you're the man to write that story, huh? I'm a hard man to fool, Dylan. I've been worked on by experts. I was a general crook at the Rosebud. Those cavalrymen are pretty good at telling tall tales to correspondents. I see. You think you're going to get a tall tale from me, is that it? Seems to be a habit here in the West. A story isn't a story if it isn't three times life size. I'll tell you something, Mr. Norton. You're not going to get a tall tale from me. In fact, you're not going to get any story at all. Now, Marshal, you must have some explanation of how you let the men who held up... You figure that's the way it was, huh? I can see you're not chasing me. Even though it's known one of them was badly wounded and couldn't travel far. Mm Mm-hmm. You got some suggestions about that? Why, Marshal, the way the West is advertised. Well, I know about the scouts, the cavalry. Well, you're welcome to bring him down here. That trail, Mr. Norton, was a day old before I even got word of the holdup. It could bear off on a hundred miles in any direction. A day old and swept clean by a wind coming all the way from Canada with nothing to stop it. I see. So you've... Giving it up. You're letting them get away. They won't get away. You're going to catch them sitting in your office, Marshal Dillon? You're going to write your story before it's finished, Mr. Norton? Do you remember the princely sum of money, perhaps, that you made as an announcer for a network radio program in those days? Oh, I think, uh, I think we got $40, maybe. For a program? Yeah. Forty bucks. Does that compare with the memories of Jack Crucian and Shirley Mitchell? And Pay glad is... to get it. <laughs> you bet. Pay has gone up over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Now we get forty-two dollars. Forty-two fifty. You're looking at three scale workers. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I remember one time when I looked into the booth to do the closing credits and the last commercial, and from Norman McDonald, the director, I got a signal to stretch, and then from Frank Paris, the assistant director, I got a signal to hurry up, both at the same time. Uh. 
Then they looked at each other and, and completely uh, broke up and it left me with little to do. You know, I'm awfully sorry I can't be there in person, particularly because I wanted to see Jack Crucian again. I'm sorry you're not here. I was going to give you a big hug. <laughs> you know, I remember that guy from the early 1950s when he co-starred with Larry Thor on Broadway's My Beat. And let me tell you about Jack. He's such a good actor that I've known him over many, many years. And when I see him on the screen or on the stage, there's Jack Crucian. But 30 seconds later, he's got me believing that he is the doctor that lives across the hall like in Promises, Promises. You forget who he is. He sees the character he's playing. He's that good.